we are at the famous, the famous in-between Sunday. Like I said, we're saying goodbye to 2015. We're saying hello to 2016. Uh, Christmas just happened. New Year's Eve is about to happen. Um, we are taking a breather, breather, most of us, from work and school, but very soon we're going to be back at it again. So today what I want to do is I just want to help us to focus um, I, I want to remind us at the end of the year, I'm really not going to give you a lot of information today, but this sermon, I, I just, I've been praying all week, God, let this be a sermon that just speaks to the depths of our hearts, and, and it just calls up who we are as your children, because, you know, programs, yeah, you know, I mean, I mean we'll, we'll hit the programs, we'll do the things we're supposed to, but it really is who we are that makes a difference, and so today I want to speak to that, I really do. Um, I'll tell you this too, my inspiration for today's sermon has been our uh, famous or infamous, you choose, uh, youth pastor Mark Santum. And uh, Mark, during the Christmas season, he's done the, the, either the Advent candle or the intro, and, and he's mentioned this phrase a few times. And when he said it, it was so quick and so simple, I think the first time or two it kind of went just right past my head. But it's really landed in my heart. And what he says is this, we are living in between two advents. I don't know if you ever caught that. I mean, but, but when Mark said it, I'm just like, yes, it just resonates with me. You know, we are, we, we are after the first advent, the coming of Jesus Christ into our world to rescue us from sin and death and bring us life and life to the full, okay? So we're living after that. But, but we're also in between, or, or what is still ahead of us, is this second advent when Jesus Christ comes back to take us home. And so, here we are in the midst of it, and every time Mark says that, I'm like, man, that's it. You know, that is it. It just reminds me that the time we live in is extremely important. These are important days, and our role during this time as a church of Jesus Christ, it's really important. Amen to me on that. It's really good. <laughs> so today, I want to read you something. When you hear this, you're going to be like, wait a minute, where is he going with this? I want to read you a clip of two psalms, okay? Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. And I want you to hear these. Um, psalm 57, verses 7 through 11. Listen to this. And the psalms basically are songs or prayers to God. It says, my heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is is steadfast. I will sing and I will make music. Awake my soul. Awake harp and lyre. And just for the sake of the children, let me just say this. A lyre is an instrument. As a child in church, whenever I heard that, I thought, why, you know, why would anybody want a lyre in the midst of… But, so, awaken harp and lyre. Um, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness, it reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the earth. Let your glory be over all the earth. That's Psalm 57. Now, here is Psalm 147. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare, a trap for me. 
Look, God, and see there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison. Hopefully, you heard those two psalms and you realize something, that there is an incredible difference between Psalm, one, uh, psalm 57 and Psalm 142. And what's so interesting about them is that they highlight the highs and the lows of prayer. I mean, the contrast is about as stark as you can get. One of these psalms, the first one, it applauds God's wonderful work. The second psalm begs God to get involved. One psalm is very hopeful. You know, you just, don't, you just listen to it and you kind of float to the surface when you hear it. The second one, it's despairing of life and you just feel like you're drowning right along with the writer of the psalm. One is jubilant. It's rejoicing. It's just full of praise. The other one is just bleak and dark and depressing. And we hear that as, as Christians and we go, well, you know, say la vie, right? Such is life. Some people are half glass empty type of people. Other people are half glass full, you know? Some of us are tiggers, right? Yeah, we're just tiggers. Others are eors. I mean, that's the way it goes. But what's so astounding about these two psalms is that they are written by the same person. The same person wrote both of these psalms, and we're talking about David. And you could say, well, oh, but, 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 but listen, uh, we can easily account for that. David in the first psalm, you know, he's having a great day, right? In the second one, he's having a day. Total difference here. But see, here's the thing about this psalm. When you look under the headings, Psalm 57, Psalm 42, or 142, you look at the little fine print, you find out David is actually in exactly the same place in both of these psalms. And he is writing in the very same time period. This is when David was hiding out for king, from King Saul. And if you don't know the story, it's a wild story, okay? Saul is the current king of Israel during this time. So he's the current king, but God shows up and God anoints David as the, as the next king. And Saul finds out about it. Now, well, you can imagine what happens. Saul gets jealous. And jealousy never stays neutral in our lives. Jealousy turns to hatred. And Saul becomes so filled with hatred and jealousy and rage, he launches a manhunt for David. He wants to destroy David because, you know what, if he can get rid of David, he gets a few more years on the throne. So he's going to wipe him out. And so here is David, and David is hiding in a cave. And here are these two prayers that he prays in the cave. And again, the contrast, I'm sorry, but it makes me laugh. You know, in one cave, I mean, this cave is just the greatest gift from God. It's a refuge. It's a sanctuary. It's, it's, you know, it's a place of safety. Oh, God, what an awesome cave. The second time, the second prayer of this cave, cave is a death trap. You know, it's only a matter of time before the walls fall in or I'm attacked. And it's just, we read this, it's only a matter of time, God, before it all ends. And it just goes to show us on one hand how inconsistent the heart is. Does anybody identify with that? How erratic our, our hearts can be, right? Amen, brother, me too. I mean, th this is the story of human life. But, but it also 
points to how powerful perspective is in our lives. Again, from this angle, what a cave, right? Thank you, Lord, for the cave. In this one, it's, oh, God, what is this pit you brought me to? Now, again, same place, same time, switching over to the church. And by the way, when I, when I say the church, I'm not talking about just KPC. I mean the church worldwide. Everywhere there is a church, I think we have to acknowledge the same thing. Like David, we are all in the same place right now. You know, all of us, all of us that make up the church, we are living after the fall of mankind. Can we agree on that? Yes. Okay, good. Um, we are also living in between these two advents of Jesus Christ. We have all been saved by the same Jesus Christ, Son of God, Lord of all. We all have access to the same Holy Spirit, and guess what else we got in common? We all have the same playbook, right? We're, we're organizing ourselves, living, worshiping according to the Word of God. So I could go on and on and on and point out similarities, but you get the point. We really are all in the same cave, pretty much, the church worldwide. And while we are here, we have also been given the same instructions by Jesus Christ. You realize that? I mean, our destiny, pretty much right now during these days, the path we have, the mission we have, it's the same no matter whether you're a Baptist, and yes, I grew up in the South, so I can say Baptist, you know, whether you're a Presbyterian or whatever combination there is, we all have the same marching orders. You know what those are. We talk about them a lot. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and, 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 I, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. For the church of Jesus Christ around the globe, in this country, in this town, our mission could not be clearer. It is to proclaim Jesus Christ to people who don't know Him yet. Yeah, that, that's it. But see, there's an elephant in the room or a 400-pound gorilla, depending on your choice of zoo animal today. Take your pick. It doesn't matter. The, the elephant in the room is that every church agrees with this. Every church agrees with our marching orders. I mean, look at the vision state or the mission statements of churches. I mean, just start, pull up websites of any church that's walking in the Word of God and calls Jesus Christ Lord. Almost every one of their mission statements say the very same thing. So on paper, we agree as to what we are all about. But the problem is, it doesn't get practiced the way it should. The problem is that, that many churches, I don't know, maybe even most churches say it but don't live it. And see, here we are going into 2016. And so I'd love for us not to make the same mistake as, as, as the people of God. So I want to talk to you today about the enemy of our destiny, all right? The enemy that gets in the way of us fulfilling the Great Commission. And believe it or not, I think I can stretch this enough to say it really boils down to one thing today. So let's get back to David for a second. If I were to ask you today, well, what's David's problem in Psalm 142? I mean, the, the whole cave thing. Who is David's enemy? We would, we would give the obvious answer, well, David's enemy is King Saul. I mean, come on, this isn't rocket science, you know. Saul's jealous. Saul's full of hate. Saul wants to kill him. Saul dispatched the guards. David, David's problem is Saul. That's the obvious answer, but believe it or not, it's the wrong answer. You know why? Because again, who 
anointed David as the next king? Big, big question, yeah, and even a bigger answer. God anointed him. God tapped him as the next king, and you know what? David isn't king yet. So Saul, it doesn't matter what he says. It doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter what he threatens. God said David will rule, and David will rule. Now, Saul might be an inconvenience. He might be a pain in the tunic. I mean, you know, he, he, he might be a hassle, might cause, you know, might be a scary guy. But in all honesty, David's enemy in that cave is not King Saul. David's problem in Psalm 142 is himself. David is his own worst enemy. And we could say, well, wait a minute, Dave, maybe David just doesn't have all the facts. He does. Because we've already read um, uh, uh, Psalm 57 where we can see that David clearly knows the truth about God. He knows who God is. He knows about his, uh, uh, his love. He knows about his glory. He knows about his faithfulness. David even knows from Psalm 57 that nobody can stand against God. And you know how you know that? Because he says, Lord, your love reaches where? This high, right? No, your love reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the sky. So it's, look, God, you've got all the space occupied. Nobody can get over that wall to me. David already knows. No enemy, no enemy can defeat God. And yet David caves in, pardon the pun, David caves in to fear. His own fear binds him up. His fears make him forget who God is. His perspective gets clouded by fear, and his destiny just vanishes before his eyes. Suddenly, you know, all that stuff God did, all that stuff God said, I can't see any of it. This is what fear does to the man. But we don't have to worry because in time, we know the story, David comes to his senses. He rises to take the throne. He, he, he ends up being truly a man after God's own heart, a, a king like few others ever. And switching back to us, we have to realize just like with David, God has spoken destiny over his church. God has spoken victory over his church. God has even been so good as to tell us how everything winds up, and yet for the, for, we are here in the meantime. But we have a glorious destiny over us as the church and a glorious destiny over us as KPC. Now, if you're new to this, we, we spent about eight months coming up with a mission statement, and I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to get excited about it because this is good stuff here. If you think, hey, you know what? Their mission sounds a lot like the Great Commission. Good, it should. If we're anywhere near we ought to be, it ought to sound like it. Here's what KPC's mission statement is. It says, our purpose is to deeply experience the love and the presence of God in worship, Thank you, media team, praise and worship, choir, all that for helping us to get there. Amen to that. It is to grow as faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ. Yes. And to serve a world that is hungry for his love and his truth. And that truth part is important because we can say we're all about serving the world in love. And, you know, we kind of never get to the truth. Absolutely not. The whole package, just what Jesus said. And, and what I love so much about you guys is I know I've been here, golly, three years in February. I can't believe that. But I've been here like three years, and I know the heart of this church. You are people who, man, if, boy, if Jesus had said something, you guys are all in because you want to hear him say, oh, KPC, well done, good and faithful. 
I also know because so many of you have come up to me and go, yes, you guys got it. You discerned it. You listened. You waited. You prayed. This is the heart of the Lord. Let's experience. Let's grow. Let's serve. We're all in. So I had, I had that back, back channel too. But So I know where our hearts are. But we as a church have got to be very careful and very aware that there is an enemy to our mission and our destiny. As this year closes and another one opens up, there's an enemy out there. And I'm going to tell you who the enemy is not. The enemy is not the government, okay? You know, the government's going to shut us down. I don't see that anywhere. The government is not going to stop this train, baby. No way. You know, it's just not. It, it's, it won't happen. You know? And proof of that is like China. You remember what happened in China? Oh, everything shut down in China. We don't hear anything from the underground church in like 25, 50 years. I don't know what it was. And, and so we're projecting, you know, there's probably a million Christians in China by now with the underground church. What, the numbers come out, and what is it? Like 100 million or something. I mean, you can't stop. It's hard to stop a train. You know what I'm saying? That's, I mean, that's just it. So anyway, the government won't stop us. You know who else won't stop the church of Jesus Christ? Society. Now, we might cave in society, and that's a different issue, but society's not going to stop us. They're not the enemy. I'll tell you who else isn't the enemy. The enemy is also not the lost world out there. The enemy is never the lost world. The enemy for the church in these days can be the same enemy that's in the cave. It can be ourselves. Now, I said can be, but we can be our own worst enemy. We can actually stop the mission of Jesus Christ if we lose sight of the most important piece of the puzzle. The key ingredient to us fulfilling the Great Commission, the mission that God has over this church, is actually violating the greatest commandment. The Great Commission and the Great Commandment go together like a hand in a glove, okay? And, and I'm telling you, you lose the love part of the Great Commission, it will never, ever work for the church of Jesus Christ. Let me remind you of this. Jesus says this, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. He tells us, church, disciples, followers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Doesn't leave anything out, okay? I mean, in expanded versions, it's your strength. I mean, every, everything that makes you you, love the Lord your God with everything. This, Jesus says, is the first commandment, meaning it ranks one. And this is the greatest commandment. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says this in Matthew 22, and it's, it's both chilling, powerful, you never wanna lose this. He says, all of the law and the prophets hang on those two commands. All right, so let me give you a visual. Big, I, I should have brought it. I've got this huge nail in my office. It's this big. Imagine taking my imaginary nail and banging it into the wall. Jesus is saying, when you have that, that peg of love driven in the wall, man, the Word of God, all the promises, everything you read in here, man, it's there. It's up. It's yours. But without that command of love, it just hits the floor. It never, ever works. It's that big a deal. So how do we do the mission of Jesus Christ? Love. What is the key ingredient? Love. What is all you need? Love. I mean, love, love, love. I'm going to start singing the love boat in a minute. Anything to get the point across. But it's love. We don't stand a chance of making any difference in our world without love. Even, even if we live out the great commandment, without love it won't work. Proof of that? Our good friend Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, 
8 and 13. Listen to this. If I speak in the tongue of men or angels, that's pretty amazing, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. No offense to Rick or Jacob who play the drums. I love the drums, but have you ever heard somebody just bang on a cymbal? I have a little boy who's in the room, and he used to do that. He'd run up and just bam, bam, bam. We'd get him away from the drums. It will drive you bonkers. Or listening to someone who's trying to learn to play the drums, and they fall in love with the cymbal. It, it's maddening. That's what it is without love. That is, that is any speech without, without the love of God. If I have the gift of prophecy and can understand all mysteries, if I have all knowledge, wow, stop there, that's incredible. No, Paul's not done. Even if I have a faith that moves mountains, some of us are enamored, are enamored with a movie that comes out where, you know, someone has, has, well, a faith in the force that can move a lightsaber. We're talking about a mountain here, right? I can have all of that. But if I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, talk about work on the outside, charitable contributions, everything to the poor, and I even give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love never fails, Paul says. Of all the virtues, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Now, you could stand up and say, well, wait a minute, Steve, you have stretched the passage too far because David's issue was not love, David's issue was fear. You should have done your homework. Well, the dog ate my homework. No, I did do my homework. But listen, here's the thing. 1 John 4.18 says this. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. We love to quote that, but we need to realize this verse actually works both ways. In Psalm 57, okay, David is swimming in the love of God. He is captured by the love of God. He is celebrating the great love of God. God, you did this. God, you're all that. God, you're amazing. He's just recounting the goodness of God. And what's interesting is as he's doing that, he acknowledges that there are dangers in his life. There, there are some real threats that he mentions in Psalm 57, but they're not a part of him. You know, it's like MC Hammer. You just can't touch me. I'm in the love of God. He is just so far he is so shielded and filled with the love of God, even amidst danger. But then look at Psalm uh, 142. David gives in to fear, and what happens to love? Man, it just drains right out of him. I mean, it's, it's like his love tank. You know, we talk about love tanks. Jane and I do all the time. How's your love tank, babe? I tell you, if we were asking David, his love tank is empty. It's got so many holes in it in, in, in Psalm 142. And so we've got to realize that David has a love issue here. This is his dilemma. So church, Steve included, when it comes to our mission, love is the key. Love is the ticket. Love is the thing. When we walk in love, we can face hardships as a church. You know, people can leave us and it can hurt or, you know, maybe the offerings get thin or, you know, I mean, lots of things can happen to a church. But, you know, when we walk in the love of God, the journey is still sweet. Some of the best times Jane and I have ever had in our lives were when the, we, we, we were pulling old Mother Hubbard. You know, I mean, it's like the cupboard's almost bare, but, man, we are just relating and loving each other so deeply. Those are the sweetest times in our life. And it's true for the church. The same thing is true. When we walk in the love of God, life is sweet. 
The journey is a good journey. And I'll tell you this, we reach our destination. We do what Jesus says. We fulfill it. We enjoy the fruit of it all the way through with the love of God in us and flowing out of us to one another and the world. Oh, man, this is the church of your dreams, regardless of whether it's Presbyterian or not, Neil. You know, I mean, it's just, it's the place to be. And so we've included this in our vision statement, okay? And vision statements stand for a lot of things, but whenever I think of our vision statement, I just think of this is the thing I want in, in, my, in, in my, my line of sight all the time. Vision statement, this is the thing I don't ever want to fall away from my, my eyes, and it says this simply. KPC aims to be a community where passion for God cultivates a compassion for all people. Oh, it's just like my favorite phrase in the world. Passion for God, compassion for all people. And we can say, well, still, Steve, I, I get it. I think I make the connections. That's awesome. But what does this have to do with, with you know, I mean, potentially us being our own worst enemy? And it's simple. Whenever we walk away from the love of God we endanger the mission of Jesus Christ. And you might say, well, that'll never happen here. Well, here, I, I like that thought, but let me just tell you that we have a problem. I guarantee you love will be in jeopardy at KPC at different times and seasons with individuals and groups of people. You know why? Because the church is full of people, okay? Pastor's a person. Whenever people are a part of the church and there's no other way to do this, we're going to have issues of love at times as a family. So here's, here's what I suggest we do as a church. It's very simple as we land this plane today, okay? 2016, let, let, let's do a couple things. Number one, let's get really excited about the mission because we've got the right mission from God. Let's just get excited about this thing. And let's purpose to walk it out in love. And here's how we can do that. Number one, 2016, I'm going to add one resolution. Well, maybe a couple, but th this one's the most important. 2016, fall in love with Jesus all over again. Just fall in love with him all over again. Worship him like you've never worshiped him. Read his word, drink it in. And, you know, he tells us, hey, you know, if you obey my commands, you show love for me. You know, if you love me, obey my commands. Get to know his word. Walk it out. It's so sweet. It's not burdensome. It's not cumbersome. But just from a heart place, say, Jesus, I'm falling in love with this, you this year. And then as the church, just say, you know what? Starting right here, let's love one another deeply from the heart. Man, let's just, and, and you know what? There are people that get on our nerves sometimes. Love them. You know, maybe one thing's our style and not another's our style. So here's what I've started doing. Choir gets up there. I go, man, the choir, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to KPC. I do that in my heart. The orchestra's up today. Greatest thing that ever happened. Praise and worship. Greatest thing that ever happened. This preacher we have. He, no, I won't say that. But it's just this principle of I prefer every single person that steps before my eyes on the stage, walk in the halls. I just, man, I'm going to love, love, love like crazy. And that, that, that's the thing we can just choose to do, you know? It's good. And then there's this. When something gets in the way of love in your heart, deal with it, okay? Things get in the way of, of our hearts, uh, in the way of our love. There's usually three ways. One way is uh, sometimes we, 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 you know, it's just a variable of life. It just happens to be the day. You know, I mean, maybe we got up on the wrong side of the bed. We can deal with that, you know. We can take a cat nap. 
You know, we can realize, you know, oh my gosh, I'm starting this way. We can deal with our own flesh. Sometimes, here's my favorite word of the day, hangry. You know, we get hangry, you know. I'm just hungry and it makes me angry. I mean, eat a Snickers bar, grab a granola bar, get over yourself and, man, step back into love. Sometimes it's as simple as that. Sometimes, though, the issue is deeper within us. And sometimes as people, we have hot buttons. Oh, honey, don't you, you better not go there and talk about that. Mm -mm. You bring it up and it's on. You know, we have that. Or, you know, or we have standards. Sometimes we have standards. They're not biblical, but they're just our standards. And somebody violates that standard. You know, that pastor had three buttons unbuttoned on his shirt. And I tell you, I just think that is, that is, there's no respect for that. You know, here's here's the answer for that. Those kinds of little petty things that that come from deep within, and I will button up my second button. The answer for that, I know. Yes, I didn't iron my t-shirt, honey, I didn't. Um, but, But you know the answer for our pettiness and our little hot buttons and things like that is repentance. Go before the Lord and acknowledge, it's like the, the, the psalm, there is an offensive way in me. I get offended with things that, Lord, th- these are not offenses of your heart. I mean, these are not things that anger you. God, would you forgive me for these offenses? Lord, would you help me to lighten up or snap out of it, as a friend of mine would always say. Father, would you, would you just deal with the judgment in my life? And Lord, just make me loving. Make me a conduit of love instead of, you know, all this. And then finally, there's the hardest one of all. But I want to encourage y'all in this, because I've had to do a lot of this lately, and it's been done to me. Sometimes there are matters with another person. Some, it's not just that we have an offensive way about us, but that person is offensive. Some of us are people in our lives, and they are offensive. And let me tell you this, love does not look the other way. If we love a brother and sister in the Lord, and they are a wrecking ball, we ought to talk to them about it. Do you know how many beautiful things happen just face-to-face, sitting down and, you know, when we come humbly and say, you know what, I'm not going to accuse, I want to ask questions. Or let me just tell you how this struck me. I have seen some people that I would judge as just, oh, that guy is just all this and that. I talk to him in love and just share. And half the time they'll go, oh, my gosh, I never knew that. Or, yeah, I sort of realized that, but I didn't realize it was hitting everybody else the same way. But just a beautiful face-to-face like that where in that moment we become family. In that moment, I know that I'm loved because someone cared enough to help me get better. And I just want to encourage us as the body of Christ because you know what it is? It's the little foxes that spoil the vine of our love. It really is. So true. And I'll tell you why it matters so much because we are living in between the two advents. And regardless of what your end time theology is, I'm going to tell you this, time is short. Time is short. And those fields out there, they are overripe with harvest. They are overripe with harvest. And the, 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 the ending of that, that Jesus said is still true, the workers are way too few. And, and y'all, I'm so sorry, okay? There are way too many churches that are caught up in their own programming. You know, they, they've built the ghetto, the walls go real high. It's all about us and our little thing. It's wrong. It doesn't matter how you slice it, okay? Like a Snickers bar. It always comes up peanut, peanuts. We're supposed to be out there. We're supposed to be out there. Loving the world to Christ. The workers are so few. So why don't we add to the number this year, KPC? Let's get out there and do some damage for the kingdom of God. 
but the key is love. So come on up, Jyla. Y'all are going to lead us in a song of love. And here's what we're going to do. Open up, just throw the doors of your heart wide open and just receive the love of God. So often I think we think we got to work it up. Okay, well, I had all these other religious things to do. Now I have to become loving. You know what? Love is something that happens to us in His presence. So receive it today. And if you find anything's in the way as we worship, just give it to the Lord. Be free of it in Jesus' name so we can get on with it. Shallow, are you ready? Sort of. Okay, well, let me pray for us then. And I'll turn that sort of into a yes, I'm ready. All right. God, you are awesome and amazing. And Lord, I just thank you for our brother David because David is our hero. And yet here is a man who faltered, who was overcome by fear. Other things robbed him of love and love. And so, Lord, we just recognize that this can happen to us. Maybe it's happened to us. Maybe we are the result of that right now. But together, we as the church realize that you have given us such a great mission. And God, you have given us the love, and that love is the fuel. That love is the reason. That love is what draws them to you like flies. So God, would you saturate us in the love of God today? Father, would you sweeten bitter waters with your love? Father, would you light us up with the love of God? Oh, Father, can the world just see you when it sees us? Would you love us like that? And I thank you that it's not just all about them, but Lord, the love of God is also for us. There is nothing like being loved by you. And so, Father, we just welcome that in these moments, in Jesus' name. Cleanse us and fill us as we worship and head off into another year in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.